Hey, who's up there? No riders! These days, you never know what kind of nut you might pick up. Maybe I can use my staff to slow him down. Well, of all the bricks... What? You? You? I killed you! I killed you! I killed you! Whoa! Oh. You're dead. Dead! Dead! Well, now I'll just have to kill him again, that's all. Kill the little birdie, yes, yes. First things first, though. Things to do, places to go, people to kill. Whoa. He is crazy. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. You like the Drake? I love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin Everyone Loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. This podcast is going to be taking a look at Tim Drake, my favorite Robin. We'll be taking a look at Tim's first appearance in Batman Year 3, that's Batman 436, and working our way through Tim's training all the way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back and relax and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 18 of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. I am your host, Rob Myers, and this is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Uh, episode 18 brings us to Robin 2, The Joker's Wild. And after the first Robin miniseries came out and uh, did very well for DC Comics, uh, something that Terrence and I talked about in uh, that podcast, in that year when uh, the Robin 1 miniseries came out, that uh, two or three of the books were in the top 10 uh, for that year, and especially that month, of uh, that miniseries. So that really showed when everything else was uh, very heavily Marvel, and there uh, was very few DC in that top 10 books, and Robin had two of the spots. So like we said in that podcast, that it really showed uh, the importance and the value and uh, the fan support for this new Robin, that uh, people were really uh Chomping at the bit for uh, not only just Tim Drake, but good Robin stories. And uh, it wouldn't be too long till uh, DC says, well, the first miniseries did really well for us. Um, let's try it again. Uh, there was even talk of them starting the Robin uh, ongoing series at this time, but they were wanting to take baby steps and make sure uh, Robin wasn't going to be a flash in the pan or you know a one-hit wonder. See what I did there? Boy, wonder. Anyway, bad jokes, Rob. So uh, Robin 2 came out in uh, 1991, and uh, I'm looking at Mike's Amazing World, which is where I get a lot of my information. Uh, the first issue of Robin 1, or excuse me, uh, Robin 2, uh, The Joker's Wild, came out on October 29th, 1991. 
and I'll say this during discussion portion of the podcast, but the editors were really smart in that uh, this story takes place uh, in Gotham City with the Joker and Robin, of course, but Batman is nowhere to be found. Um, Robin knows that uh, Batman has left the country to uh, pursue something else, and uh, rather than it just being, oh, Batman's you know out of the country, if you were currently reading the Batman books in the month of October, there was another story that was going on called uh, The Idiot Route. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in the discussion. So it's nice that when Robin is talking about Batman being gone, he is in fact actually gone out of Gotham City. Uh, But this was something once uh, I was just in my early stages of collecting comic books. When this came out or was announced to be coming out, uh, I was like, ooh, what is this going to be like? The first confrontation between Robin and the Joker, and Batman's not going to be there to back up Tim. The Joker has had uh, no contact or no knowledge of a Robin since the death of Jason Todd in the death of the family, and, or death in the family. See, uh, death in the family, death of the family. Scott Snyder, you kind of screwed me up being able to get my titles right. Uh, since that Robin's apparent death, and as far as the Joker knew, I beat the kid with a crowbar and then blew up the building chances are he's dead but we know in comics uh new 52 damien that nobody really stays dead anymore so you could go out of a limb joker going okay i know that i killed you but we'll see how this all pans out um i was really wanting to get terrence on the podcast uh for this episode and he's been kind of having some big computer issues and uh so much so that he's probably going to be absent for this entire uh series and uh, he, he may be in it in part of a uh, email uh, we're talking about him just uh, giving his thoughts and feelings on it but uh he probably won't be back on the podcast till probably December or probably more the first of the year in 2015 which just sounds really weird to say 2015 so once he gets uh, his new computer and everything uh back online again uh he will jump uh back in as he has been off and on the podcast um i do have a couple other uh special guests lined up um a couple good friends of mine uh one if if you watch the my reviews on uh, the batman universe as far as the action figures and merchandising and things like that uh, one of my good friends that i do uh some reviews with uh Stu murray you can find him on youtube under the name of Stu murray 47 he's a big superman fan so since he's a big superman fan there is a robin superman tie in uh that is going to be coming up uh, rather quickly probably another two to three episodes and uh the thing that will more than likely close out the year is going to be Robin three cry of the huntress. And I will be having on the show as a special guest, uh, Tom Paneris from, uh, taking flight, a Robin and nightwing podcast that is also here on the Batman universe.net. And I believe, uh, At some point, I'm going to be on his show uh, talking about uh, Nightwing and the Huntress miniseries. So uh, it's kind of cool that uh, Tom and I have sent a couple emails back and forth. And the Cry of the Huntress was a rather lengthy comic book series. So I think we're going to try and do that all in one day, maybe even his set. So it may be a long marathon uh, or maybe a couple days doing his podcast, then my podcast, and then we'll uh, uh, put them out uh, kind of whenever, you know, fits 
fits into our podcast schedule. So that's kind of some things that I have coming up. So I'm really excited to have both of those on and, uh, uh Tom, uh, especially, and uh, not that anything to do with Stu, but, uh, uh, being that this is a Robin podcast and he's looking more, uh, in the early part of his podcast was looking at the Dick Grayson Robin and then the other Robins uh, from here to there, but he's leans more heavily into the Dick Grayson Teen Titans, Robin Nightwing, as I'm looking at more of the Robin Tim Drake, uh, Batman than Teen Titans in a little bit. So it'd be kind of cool to get, uh, two Robin fans, uh, in at the same time where we both grew up liking the, uh, Tim Drake character. And those were our Robins, but I think he connects more with Dick Grayson. And I, of course, connect with, uh, Tim Drake. So a lot of rambling right here for the <laughs> intro of the show. I just wanted to bring those couple things up, uh, here really quick of what we have, uh, coming up in the podcast. And as you'll see here, uh, we've jumped a little bit in time, uh, since the last podcast. And uh, there was a part of me that I thought about doing, uh, every single, I wouldn't say every single issue, but trying to keep, um, chronology a little bit, uh, tighter, um, and go through some of the, uh, cool points of the uh, Batman and Detective Comics, but as I started looking at the podcast and what I really wanted to do, uh, as I've said before, the end goal or the main thing that is starting this podcast is I want to get to the Robin ongoing series, and there's uh, tons of great uh, Tim Drake Robin stories with Batman and without Batman in the Batman and Detective Comics series that I thought if I dwell too much into that, it's going to take even longer getting to the things that I think everybody that's been listening so far has been wanting to get to is the the main Robin uh, solo series that uh, went on for 183 issues, which I would love for Tim Drake to be in his own book once again. But that's neither here nor there. So uh, we'll be taking uh, some uh, sizable jumps, getting closer and closer. And one of the big things uh, that'll be coming up before too long, uh, probably in 2015, because I won't be able to squeeze too much more uh, into this year since we're already in November right now, is Nightfall. So I've said before that I'm not going to cover Nightfall in its entirety that it'll be would become a nightfall podcast, but uh, Tim Drake is heavily involved in nightfall, and it obviously uh, dramatically impacts uh, what Robin is going to do from the events of nightfall, which do lead into his ongoing series. And as most people know, the Robin book is still very heavily tied to the Batman titles for quite some time. That the Robin book really doesn't break out of out of, onto kind of on its own for quite a while, probably until we hit issue 25 of the Robin uh, series. So uh, more on Nightfall later. I will have probably a plethora of guests for the Nightfall uh, series, as that was a big moment in the history, in the 75th history of Batman, as we're uh, dwindling down on the 75th anniversary of Batman and getting really close to the 75th anniversary of the Robin character, and probably more importantly, uh, uh, Dick Grayson, um, also sharing the 75th anniversary with The Flash. So it'll be kind of interesting to see what 2015 will be like 
seeing that DC has two characters simultaneously celebrating their 75th anniversaries. So uh, without further ado, I just wanted to kind of get some of the news and information out of the way for the beginning part of the podcast. Uh, Thanks for tuning in to episode 18 of Robin. Everyone loves the Drake and welcome to the show. Robin 2, The Joker's Wild, a four-part miniseries by DC Comics. This was $1.50 in the U.S., and it was $1.85 in Canada. Story by Chuck Dixon. Pencils by Tom Lyle. Inks by Bob Smith. Colorist Adrian Roy. Letters by Tom Harkins. Assistant editors Kelly Puckett. Editors Dennis O'Neill. And Robin Tim Drake, created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick. Robin Costume, created by Neil Adams and Norm Brayfogle. The story... The funniest thing happened. It's been called the house that hate built. It's the last home on earth for the worst this world has to offer. A warehouse of monsters the society wants to forget. Arkham Asylum. In the warden's office, the Joker's attorney says that he has arranged something and that it might be good for the Joker. His mother to visit. The warden says he wasn't even aware the Joker had a mother. This is one convict that gets no special treatment. Do they not realize the death and murders that the Joker has caused? The warden wants to make sure that if this goes south, he wants his hands to be clean. The Joker has caused many different wardens to be removed from office. He doesn't want any blood on his hands. The Joker's attorney assures him that if anyone can get through to the Joker, it has to be his own mother. After a thorough search, it is deemed that the Joker's mother is clear to be able to visit with her son. Armed guards in the warden and the attorney for the Joker are all present in the room. The Joker's mother sits at one end of the table and says, Sit down, son. I want to bring you the good word. And sets the Bible on a table in front of the Joker. The warden says, Bible? Did you check the book? And just then, the Joker's mother opens the book, and Joker Toxin begins to fill the room, causing everyone to pass out. The warden runs out as quickly as he can, but not before he is knocked out by the gas as well. A few guards are left to chase down the Joker and the Joker's mother, and open fire on what they think is the Joker, only to realize that it's the Joker's attorney. The Joker is gone. 
and the Joker's mother is none other than one of his own henchmen. The warden was right. Outside of the asylum, the Joker hails a taxi and says, Tonight's going to be a good night. Out above the city streets, Robin is soaring across the rooftops on his first night alone in the city without Batman, hoping that there won't be much going on. When Robin swings around the corner of the next building, he looks up only to see the bat signal shining in the night sky. Well, I guess it's going to be one of those nights, Tim thinks. On top of the GCPD, Commissioner Gordon is waiting for Batman, but the Batman does not show tonight. Robin lands on the rooftop, and Commissioner Gordon says, I was expecting Batman. Robin says he's out of town, so you'll have to settle for me. And then Commissioner Gordon says what Robin didn't want to hear. It's a joker. He's escaped from Arkham Asylum two hours ago. Robin tries to not look stunned. He turns and leaps off the roof of the GCPD and says, Thanks for the information, Commissioner. Down below in a van, Alfred is waiting for Robin. Once inside, Robin tells Alfred that he's not ready to face the Joker, and hopefully the Batman will make it back in time. Alfred tries to reassure Robin and says that the Joker has just recently escaped and he shouldn't be active for a while and hopeful that Master Bruce will return before long. Across town, the Joker makes his way back to his hideout, only to find out his gang is now being run by someone else, Mr. Freeze. The Joker turns around, not really too sure what to think of Mr. Freeze, and pulls out two water crystals and sprays it all over Mr. Freeze, then holds out his hand and activates his joy buzzer and shocks Mr. Freeze. Mr. Freeze falls to the ground and screams, Boys, I'm back! It's time to bring this city to the brink of chaos. Next morning finds Tim Drake in high school, getting ready for his next class when Ives and other friends of his come up to Tim to talk to him about playing the newest game that just came out and want to know if Tim can come over tonight to check it out. Tim says that he'd like to, but when across the hall, Tim hears, Yo, Drake! It's Carl, the jock of the high school. Ives says... You think they would make people evolve before they let them into the ninth grade. Keep it up, four Ives, Carl says. Ives says, that was hysterical in the third grade, Carl. Carl tells Tim that he should not be hanging out with the losers, and he should be hanging out with Carl and his guys. There's going to be a killer Christmas party later. Tim says that he has a lot of things to do after school, and he passes on both invites. Tim turns and heads down the hall to his next class. Later that night, Robin heads out to Arkham Asylum to take a look at the Joker's cell. The warden also commented on the lack of Batman's presence. Robin says he's looking at other aspects of the case and told him to come down to check out the Joker's cell. The warden says there wasn't much in the cell and they went through everything under close scrutiny with the Joker. They even removed the staples from his magazines. Robin found magazines on the floor about computers. What would the Joker need with computer magazines? The warden never thought the Joker would have been the tech-savvy type. This has to mean something, Robin thinks. Back in the Batcave, Tim and Alfred go over everything that was in the Joker's cell. Newspaper clippings, magazines, and they all have to do with computers. Most of the articles in the computer magazines were written by Osgood Pillinger. Alfred wonders if the Joker has an affinity for Dr. Pillinger. Tim says that the doctor is an expertise in the growing danger of security over the realm of computers. He says that this is an environmental issue of the next century. Alfred says, so the Joker's looking to become computer literate? Robin says to Alfred, I think we better go check out Dr. Pillinger's residence. Load up the van, Alfred. It's going to be a long night. Alfred drives Robin to Dr. Pillinger's house. Robin sits on top of Dr. Pillinger's rooftop and waits. Things look quiet inside, Robin thinks. 
If he's going to be on a stakeout this long, it's a good thing he wore his thermals tonight. It's supposed to be record freezing temperatures in Gotham City. After a few hours, Dr. Pillinger leaves the house. Robin wonders where Pillinger is going at this late of the hour. On the street below, Robin sees a snowplow coming down the street. The tracks in the snow appear that the snowplow has already been there. So why is the snowplow coming back down the same street again? Just then, as Dr. Pillinger enters his vehicle, the snowplow lowers its blades and scoops up Dr. Pillinger's car and flips it over into the back of the bed. Robin swings down to the roof of the truck. Robin smashes his bow staff through the window, catching the passenger right in the face and knocking him unconscious. Just then, Robin comes face to face with the Joker. The Joker exclaims, You? It can't be you! It can't be you! I killed you! The Joker turns sharply and knocks Robin off the truck. Alfred is there in moments to pick up the boy wonder, and Robin says, Wow, he's crazy! Robin hops in the passenger seat of the van and says that Dr. Pillinger has been kidnapped. Alfred reassures Robin more clues will come up when it comes to the Joker. Back in the hideout, Joker introduces Dr. Pillinger to his gang and says that Dr. Pillinger is the most dangerous man in Gotham City. The professor is a computer genius. Everything runs on computers these days, and like a genie in a bottle, a magic word, if you know your way around, the world can be yours. The Joker is going to use Dr. Osgood for every trick in the world. Back in the Batcave, Robin wonders if Batman will think he was being sloppy tonight. If he keeps this up, Batman will find a new Robin. Alfred tells Tim, nonsense, don't think like that. Tim says with the madman running loose out there on the streets, we have to convince the Joker that Batman is in Gotham City. Alfred replies, how do we do that? Tim says we need a brilliant plan. And if you think of one, Alfred, let me know. To be continued. Story by Chuck Dixon, pencils by Tom Lyle, inks by Bob Smith, letters by Tim Harkins, colorist Adrian Roy, Denny O'Neill is the editor, Kelly Puckett, assistant editor. Tim Drake Robin, created by Marv Wolfman and Pat Broderick. Robin costume, created by Neil Adams and Norm Brayfogel. The story, Tomorrow a Tragedy. The next night of routine patrol, Robin comes prepared. This time, Robin sees two young juveniles trying to break into a warehouse. Robin leaps to the ground to scare them off. The teens say that there's two of us and one of you, so why don't we just bash your head in? Then we can start picking the lock. Just then, the two look up above Robin and see an image of Batman standing. They immediately drop their crowbars and speed off into the night streets. Robin pulls out a remote control out of his costume and says, Hologram off. Robin has been using a holographic projection image of Batman, hopefully to give the illusion that Batman is still out on the streets. In the Joker's hideout, Joker is dressed in a doctor's uniform with Dr. Pillinger all tied up and ready to give him injections to make him a little bit more acceptable to what the Joker wants him to do. He's been having Dr. Pillinger hack into security mainframe buildings so that the Joker can get into computer networks. The next day in school, Tim can barely keep his eyes open. He's in and out of sleep. The teacher comes up to Tim and asks Tim a question. When he looks up, he catches Ives out of the corner of his eyes. Ives is making a seal motion with his hands. And Tim thinks, why is he doing that? Oh, the Tim just says, seals? The history teacher says precisely. The new territory is restricted to the hunting of seals across the coast of the island. That was close, Tim thought. Ives saved his butt. 
again. At lunchtime, Tim and Ives sit at the table as they always do. Ives says, You're going to have to get a little bit more sleep, Drake. I can't continue to bail you out of class like this. Tim says thanks, and that he's been having a lot of long nights after school. Later that night, a car pulls up in front of the Majestic Theater. It looks like it's been closed for quite some time. A tall, pretty blonde woman steps out of the car, and she says this can't be right, but this is where the address says that she was supposed to go for acting auditions. When she turns to say something to the cab driver, the cab quickly pulls off, and she says, oh well, I hope I'm in the right spot, and catches a sign for an audition, and follows the signs along around to the back corner of the building. She walks in and says, hello, there's no one there. It's almost in total darkness. A stage light quickly comes on and shines in her face and she realizes she's in the middle of a stage floor and thinks, well, she must be in the right spot. A voice comes from the darkness and says, good, you're here for the audition. The audition is simple. All that it requires is that you scream. The blonde says, what? The voice from the dark says, let me hear you scream. And then she lets out a little eek. The voice says, tisk, tisk, tisk. A bit more, though. You need more motivation. Imagine that you're there, and all the fingers from the darkness are coming around behind you. Imagine that they're reaching for you, clawing for you, and pulling you into the darkness. And then, the face of the Joker appears from the midst of the darkness, and she lets out a blood-curdling scream. The Joker says, ah, such beautiful music. Back in the Batcave, Robin pulls a tarp covering the Batmobile, and says, it's a shame that the Batmobile has to sit here like this. Alfred wonders what Robin is hinting at. Alfred wonders what Robin is hinting at. Are you wanting me to drive it? There is no way I'm driving that beastly thing out on the streets. Robin explains, no, it's just that with the Batmobile on the streets, it would make Batman appear that he's really out there. Rather than you and I pushing around all this equipment into a van together, we wouldn't have to haul as much equipment for the holographic image if the Batmobile was out there on the streets. Alfred tells Tim not to get any wise ideas about the Batmobile and points out that he does not have his driver's license yet and Alfred is in no way, shape, or form or even wanting to drive the Batmobile. A few hours later, Robin and Alfred are on top of a roof setting up the holographic image equipment that they will use to cast an image of Batman along buildings and rooftops. Robin says that with it snowing, it'll be able to mask the holographic image a little bit, and they won't have to work on making the image so crisp as to fool people. In the snow, it'll look a little bit more believable to the naked eye that Batman is on the rooftops. It's at this moment the police scanner starts to ring out across Robin's communicator. It's an apparent suicide attempt from somebody that appears that's going to jump off the top of a building, not too far away from where their location is. Robin leaps off the rooftop and swings out to the address of the possible suicide attempt. As Robin gets closer into view, he sees a tall blonde woman standing on top of the rooftop. For us, the readers, we know it's the same woman that was in the audition with the Joker, and she's standing at the edge of the fire escape, and he can hear her screams from blocks away. As Robin gets closer, he lands on the rooftop and tells the woman to stay right there and begins to climb down to the fire escape. As Robin steps down, she begins to back and run away. Down on the streets below, the police officers can see that there's a figure out there with the woman. One of them recognizes that it's Robin. Another one says that if Robin's here, that means Batman must be close by, but no one seems to see Batman at this time. Around the corner in an adjacent building that is part of the phone company, it's the Joker and his crew using Dr. Pillinger's information to tap into the phone lines that are running Gotham City's internet connections. It's all part of the plan to get inside the computer network that he's going to use the good doctors for, and the blonde is a simple distraction. Back on the rooftop, 
The woman begins to run away from Robin and loses her footing and starts to plummet towards the streets below. Robin says that he's been practicing with his batarang and rope for quite some time, and now it's going to come down to this. All of his training and timing hopefully will pay off. He's able to catch the woman around the ankles right at her boots, which is the good thing. If he caught her around the waist, the cable would surely have snapped her in half. She's got an extra 15 pounds on Robin, so he has to brace himself with his bow staff up against the building. He's able to get her to the side of the building and lower her to the ground. It's at this time that Alfred is able to get the holographic image working of the image of Batman now appears on the rooftop across from Robin. As the Joker steps out from around the corner, he looks up at the rooftop to see if his blonde woman has done what he has asked her to do. And then, all of a sudden, he sees an image of Batman. He said he didn't want to have to deal with the bat at this time, but he might as well. The Joker reaches for a machine gun and begins to fire at Batman through a crowded city streets, but the bullets seem to pass right through Batman. The Joker is stunned by this. Robin wasn't expecting to see the Joker, but the woman must have been a distraction, so the Joker could sneak in and do what he needed to do with a madman wielding a gun down on the streets. It's either now or never. Robin swings down to the city streets below and catches the Joker in the back. The clown prince of crime is on the ground. Robin is standing over him and says it's over and to stay down. The Joker says, I surmise you're not the same Robin. A new costume, and you're a bit of a runt, aren't you? Well, it looks like you've been kicked out of the nest too soon. The Joker stands to his feet and activates his acid flower spray at Robin. Robin quickly turns to deflect it with his cape and thinks that was close. He nearly got hit with the acid, but as Robin was pulling his cape across his body, the Joker takes a swing at Robin and catches Robin right in the side of the head with a baseball bat, causing Robin to fall down and temporarily block out. Robin's in a daze. He sees the Joker but can't focus. The Joker taunts Robin. Did Bats tell you what happened to the last Robin? He blowed up real good. Robin's head is still spinning from the blow he took to the side of the head. It sounds like the Joker is a million miles away. As the Joker is getting ready to take another swing at the Boy Wonder, the GCPD arrive just in time and point their guns at the Joker and tell him to freeze. The Joker says, Freeze? I prefer to make like a tree and leave. The Joker throws down his toxin gas bombs to the ground and the green smoke begins to fill the city streets and the Joker is able to slink away. Robin comes to his feet after the smoke clears and when the police and Robin turn around, the Joker is nowhere in sight. The police ask Robin if he needs any help and he says, he doesn't need any, don't worry about me. The police tell Robin it was a nice effort. Robin begins to walk around the corner to the van. Back in the Joker's hideout, he's glad to have gotten the phone wires set with the help from Dr. Pillinger. That says meeting with Batman and Robin was unexpected. And then it dawns on him. Where was Batman? Then he suddenly appeared. But when he fought Robin, Batman was nowhere in sight. Could it be Robin is home alone? Next, a comedy tonight. Holy hole in a donut! All right, there was the synopsis for Robin 2, The Joker's Wild, part 1 and part 2. And we will hear part 3 and part 4 of the conclusion of The Joker's Wild in the next episode, in episode 19. So I thought I would break this up over the course of uh, two episodes to just have a chance to talk a little bit about uh, these two. I did want to say at the very beginning, unless I can find it, I've been looking for quite a while. Uh, I usually, if I have an audio dramatization or something like that that ties into uh, what I'm currently talking about, 
I will put that in the beginning or somewhere in the middle of the episode that I'm doing. And I have never found anything for uh, the Joker's Wild ever. And at just about the time I was starting to think about doing podcasts, I was listening to quite a, a few of them on the uh, BatmanUniverse.net. I was part of the Bat Fans uh, Without Pants podcast, I think is what they're called now, but generally just the Bat Fans uh, podcast with Tim and Dane. And uh, I started thinking about you know doing my own and kind of uh, broke off from that. And uh, uh, side note, those guys uh, will be on this podcast at some point. And I've kind of uh, gone back and forth between uh, their show and this from time to time. But anyway, um, another show that I would listen to is Tom Panarese's, uh Taking Flight, a Robin and Nightwing podcast on the Batman Universe Donut. I think that's what he says. Um, and he covers uh, primarily a lot of Dick Grayson, uh, Robin, and Dick Grayson, uh, Nightwing, and Teen Titans, and has kind of sprinkled in other uh, Robins uh, from here, here or there throughout the podcast. I think he's uh, completed them all now up to uh, this point, and I think right now, currently on his podcast, he is uh, going through uh, Batman and Robin team-ups through the ages, and uh, it's really cool. Uh, some of the things he's doing there. So if you haven't listened to Taking Flight, uh, I urge you to go over. He has a fantastic podcast and has uh, other things that he also talks about as well that you can uh, hear from him. Uh, but he has covered uh, some of these uh, Robin Tim Drake stories that I'm covering. And I actually uh, emailed him a while back when I got ready to start this. And I said, you know, I don't want to you know, step on your toes or anything like that. If you've already covered uh, this and explained to him what my podcast was. And he's like, no, I think that's great. It's great to hear other people's uh, takes and viewpoints. And somebody may point something out that you've already talked about and go, I haven't thought of that. So uh, he, Tom has talked about Robin two, uh, the Joker's wild, but what was interesting as uh, the, that episode is getting ready to start. And I'm a, uh, scrambling to try and look and see what episode that was of his. That is episode 17 for him, 18 for me. So uh, dumb luck. I almost got it uh, uh, right on. I didn't realize that until I was uh, looking it up just now. So if you go back to his, you can hear his uh, take on this uh, story as well. He covers all four in one episode. I'm going to break it up over two. But what was interesting is that there's an audio portion before the start of his episode, and it's from a Robin audio drama that I have. Um, now, I got this off a friend of mine online. He sent it to me as an MP3, so I don't have the actual physical copy of it. It's very hard to come across, and it's called Legends of Robin. And uh, it basically goes through the whole origin of Tim Drake for the most part. It talks a little bit in Batman Year 3, uh, just a little snippets of it, uh, Mon uh, and then Lonely Place of Dying. But it's basically the uh, Obey a Man uh, storyline, the Rite of Passage, and then uh, Robin 1 is the audio portion I have. And it sounded like it was a complete episode, and it was... Uh, uh, fine and everything like that. And then when I heard Tom's episode on his uh, Robin podcast, Taking Flight, episode 17, I heard Mark Hamill's voice again and the actor that is playing um, Tim Drake in this. And it is from the Joker's Wild. There's an adaptation of that. I remember uh, emailing Tom shortly after that and saying, I, I don't know where you got this from. I 
I take it it's from the Legends of Robin uh, audio drama. And he said, yeah, that's, that's what it's from. And um, somebody had sent it to him. And he said he has you know, since deleted it. But uh, since that point, I have been trying to find a version of that that is complete or if the, that is somewhere else out there. So I don't have the Jokers 2 audio. But what I did, uh, so in case you missed Tom's episode, I wanted to play you the only portion of uh, that uh, audio drama that I could find, which uh, Tom uh, put a little snippet on there. So um, I just kind of want to give props to Tom and for that long explanation of saying if anybody happens to have uh, the full audio drama that includes uh, the Joker's wild portion, um, I would love to get a hold of that. And um, that audio drama was really interesting because it also covers the death of Jason Todd as well. So um, it was also really cool to encompasses everything and Jason's death and then Tim's uh, birth as Robin, as it were. So uh, now that I've got all of that out of the way, uh, this was something very cool that uh, DC Comics did. And yes, it is a staple of the 90s that we will do many covers and many variants and we will polybag them. They will be embossed. They will have holograms. You will be able to slide them back and forth, pull out inserts and all that stuff. So yes, uh, this comic is a product of the 90s uh, through and through. And I don't mean that necessarily in a bad way and saying, oh, gosh, this comic is so dated. Uh, yes, there are parts where Tim and Alfred are lugging all this computer equipment around that um, I think is something Tom even pointed out. I think in this day and age, if this – and the story still stands up very well. It it doesn't date itself as far as a storytelling uh, vehicle. Uh, if you just update the tech a little bit with uh, the modern tech that we have right now with cell phones and video cameras and all this uh, other fancy stuff that we have, uh, the story would still stay the same. You just replace the tech and uh, it doesn't change anything. Uh, other comics in the 90s, uh, if you would really drastically change the whole story with the tech and that they're trying to use. But I like that uh, the Batman books really kept themselves grounded in storytelling first and then used technology more as as a device not a crutch like wow this is the newest and greatest thing in computer technology and then 20 years later you look at it and go wow that really really dates the book rather than making it a timeless story and i think the joker's wild really stands up as not only one of the greatest joker stories ever told but i think it's also one of the greatest robin stories ever told if you would compile a list of really classic robin stories this is right at the top of the list being that it was the 90s, early 90s, and uh, 91 when this came out, that um, somebody that was just in the very early stages of high school, uh, being at my um, sophomore year, that I was able to start uh, having you know an allowance and mowing yards and all that type of stuff that I could save some money and go buy comic books. I have all four of these issues separately. Um, I didn't buy all of the... Um, variant issues. I did buy two issues of number one. I have the Kelly Jones Batman here. 
uh, and then the Joker version. And if I pull up uh, the information from Mike's Amazing World here, as I am switching back through Windows, um, there are there are four variants to this. So each one has a different cover, but the hologram is just a picture of Tim Drake swinging through the city streets. And then I only have just the one issue for issues two, three, and four. And uh, all of mine were generally uh, Robin-specific uh, as I bought them. And the two that we're looking at um, today are issues one and issue two of Robin 2. And the second one I have is uh, Robin laying down in like a Joker funhouse. He's been hitting the head with the Joker's um, mallet, which now people mostly as- associate with Harley Quinn, but she is not here in this universe yet. And Robin is bloodied down on the floor. Um, as far as what I've – and those are all bagged and boarded. I've got them in my comic book collection. But as far as looking at it, the issue together, the only way to get uh, the Joker's Wild uh, collected in a trade is through uh, the Tragedy and Triumph, which has the Rite of Passage storyline. And the uh, Robin 1, or the first Robin miniseries, the 1991 miniseries, uh, the only way to get a hold of that one is in the Robin a hero reborn storyline that includes the identity crisis. Um, I understand why they did it. The book ended uh, the beginning Robin story and then the Joker's two wild story and the two trades. I would have really liked to have had uh, Robin one and Robin two in one trade and the identity crisis and the uh, write a passage storyline in one book and collect it in a, a Batman title. But seeing that they were more Robin stories, I get why they did it. Uh, I don't own a Here Reborn storyline uh, in a trade. I would like to track that down. I've seen it on eBay from time to time, so I don't think it'll be overly that hard uh, to come by on eBay. So now uh, we're right back in the thick of things with the Joker. We're at Arkham Asylum, which is you know where you would expect to start with the Joker. Since that is where he had been put after he had come back uh, for a brief time after uh, the death of Jason Todd and Batman was able to track him down, that uh, it's the Joker's mother gag that is being used that always uh, baffles me when you know we're in our comic book universes and uh, we have a villain that has just done so many horrible things to somebody that uh, we want to try and rehabilitate them. Not that I think somebody isn't above rehabilitating, but there's kind of a line there with the Joker being such a sadistic person and has caused so much death and chaos into Gotham City that you would think there would be no special treatment, but we've got a fancy lawyer for the Joker that says, well, hey, my my client has a mother, and who can else better you know, talk to somebody than their own mother and get at the the heart and the soul of this person to make them see what they're doing is wrong. And uh, I like that the warden right away is like, you're absolutely crazy. You're nuts. Uh, if you're going to go on with this whole charade and uh, the warden is absolutely right. He's like, I'm out of it. I don't want my hands tied to it. I want to remain clean because when this goes sideways, I'm going to be the one that says, I told you so. And he's going to be the one that's the first one to try and run out of the, of the uh, interrogation room where they bring in the Joker. And it looks like it's a barn. If you look at, I'm looking at page one Oh one and tragedy and triumph, but it's probably very early on. It's uh page three for you guys that it's a table. They have TV cameras set up, but the door that they have here looks like it's a barn door. I'm sure it's supposed 
was probably supposed to be some metal door or something like that in the uh, interrogation room. But we see uh, the attorney, we see the warden, and then uh, three or four police officers that are around with the Joker. And the frail mother, you know, brings in the Holy Bible, and the warden instantly is like, Bible? Why did, did somebody check the Bible? And it's the, hey, inside the Bible is a knife gag, or inside the Bible is, is a gun. In this case, inside the Bible is fear gas and a, a Joker mask that the, joke, that the Joker gets to wear. And I love uh, that Tom Lyle uh, will really be part of Robin's first early run uh, throughout uh, the Robin uh, miniseries and then getting into the very beginning of the Robin ongoing series that uh, Tom Lyle is in his uh, finest form in these early runs of Tim Drake that even in this panel set, this two-page panel set of four and five, is all these little tiny panels that are showing you everything that's going on, and they're not uh, all square and just uh, normal-looking panels, with the exception of the very first panel at the top of page three, or excuse me, at the top of page four, where it's nice and square. And once we're in the uh, Joker toxin state, everything is jagged and squiggly, and uh, there's still a lot of action going on, but they're it sends that pace of urgency through uh, this first part of the gas escaping and people trying to run out and the guards taking a shot at the Joker that they assume is the Joker want only to find out that it is in fact, of course it's the attorney that ends up getting shot. And we presume uh, he's looks like he is shot in the chest and then again in the back by the guards and dun, 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 who is the mother well, of course, it's a, a Joker henchman that gave up his life for his boss. And uh, we see that the Joker is able to walk right on out of the prison, hail a taxi. And the driver's like, hey, where do you want to go? Uh, it doesn't even dawn on somebody that the Joker's face would have been plastered all over major TV news everywhere across Gotham City from his very first image that when Batman fought him up till now that you see this white faced red smiling mouth green hair purple suited figure coming towards you that cab driver should have been in the car hightailing it as far away but he's like hey you want to ride come on in so I guess when times are tough in Gotham City you will give anybody a ride somewhere and maybe this guy thought well I might get to be part of the Joker's gang that ought to be cool I should be dead by uh, the second issue Um, we move on to uh, Robin swinging through and the Tom Lyle art in this book, I will probably say over and over again is uh, fantastic. I love the youthfulness that Tom Lyle captures in Tim Drake. And I'm, I'm always torn on, do I like the Norm Brayfogle? Do I like the Tom Lyle? Um, Williams the second? Do I like that, Robin? I think it's just in the era that I was growing up, like, wow, in the 90s, Tom Lyle could do no wrong. And then we move into the 2000s, we have just a lot of different good writers and uh, artists that uh, capture Tim Drake. But uh, my early, early images would be Norm Brayfogle and Tom Lyle. And once... A, Tim Drake gets his own series, uh, especially in a miniseries form. It's Tom Lyle. I keep talking about this uh, beautiful poster that I got from a comic book store that was closing of a Tom Lyle drawn Tim Drake. And that's kind of one of the images that have always stuck with me is the Tom Lyle uh, Robin. He just captures such a wonderful look of youthfulness on Tim's face of just curious wonder. And then, 
uh, concern. He just, uh, some artists can kind of capture the facial look of a character, but I think Tom Wilde does it for every single character that he draws. And just a beautiful shot of Tim swinging through the snowy-covered streets of Gotham City and hoping that tonight it's just going to be a normal routine patrol. Batman's gone in South America, and hopefully nothing big uh, will happen. And then, of course, the bat signal shines in the sky on page 7, and that's going to lead Tim to talk to Commissioner Gordon without Batman, which is something I wanted to talk about. I mentioned it in the beginning of the show that uh, the editors of DC Comics did a really good thing. If you were reading the Batman monthly titles, being Batman and Detective both, that uh, they were pretty good at tying in uh, crossing over storylines that weren't necessarily too long. You could read Detective on its own and Batman on its own and uh, and be fine with it. But every once in a while, they would say, hey, we're going to do a a small four-part storyline that uh, will go between two books. And uh, the storyline that they were telling in those two books is The Idiot Route. Now, this is one I do not have in my collection and has been one that's been on my radar ever since picking up this book because I was always intrigued, well, where is Batman? I guess it's not important to the story. Uh, Tim does mention he's in some place warmer as opposed to Tim being in the snow-cold, freezing temperatures of Gotham City and hoping that Bruce brings some of that cold or that that warmness back. That again, it wasn't until uh, Tom's podcast that I was able to find out. It's really hard to Google, you know, where was Batman during Robin two. Um, so with the help of Mike's Amazing World and other wonderful podcasters out there, I was able to put together the missing pieces of where Batman is now. With uh, not reading the story myself, it's a case that takes Bruce from Gotham City to South America. So it's kind of the second trip to South America uh, in a warmer climate as uh, the Rite of Passage took him to Haiti, uh, trying to track down uh, Tim Drake's parents. So that's all the information that I have. But those issues were uh, Batman uh, 472, 473, and uh, Detective Comics 639 and 640. And they were written by Peter McMillan and uh, Norm Brayfogle drew the Batman issues and uh, Jim Aparo drew the Detective Comics issues. So um, that's uh, that's kind of cool that uh, some of my favorite writers and artists are, are in one book. Uh, Alan Grant actually writes the first uh, issue for the story in 472 in uh, the Batman title. So it's interesting that Alan Grant starts the story, but uh, Peter McMillan actually writes it. So I don't know if they co-plotted it together. And McMillan is actually the writer. And Alan Grant was like, okay, this is my last Batman story. Here's an idea that I have. Here's the plot. And McMillan, you you run with it. So um, I'll be curious as I hopefully am able to track this down. But it was nice that this just wasn't an ideal. Hey, we're going to put out this Robin miniseries, and we're just going to say Batman's you know, not around right now. And that he's gone somewhere, and we don't really have to explain it. It would have been nice in the footnotes of this issue. That's the only knock as far as the editing goes, that it should have said, you know, see the uh, Idiot Root storyline running in Batman and Detective Comics and list a a page number or an issue number somewhere in the early pages of this book once 
Tim starts talking that Bruce is no longer in Gotham City. So that's the only minor knock that I have. But, you know, being 20-some years later and wanting to track it down does make it a little bit hard to do so. But we'll move on from there, uh, seeing that Tim arrives at the GCPD. And Commissioner Gordon is kind of, I would say, miffed and disappointed that it's Robin that shows up and not Batman. That uh, this is a new Robin for Commissioner Gordon. So the trust phase is kind of... All right, I can tell you're in a Robin uniform. You look a little bit different. You sound a little bit different, but you've got Batman's seal of, of approval, but I don't know you yet. And this is the first time you're here. And of all the cases in the world that I really don't want you without Batman, it's the Joker. And uh, Tim tries to show his composure when Commissioner Gordon finally tells him that it is, in fact, the Joker has escaped from Gotham City. So here we have a brand new Robin. Uh, It's been on the job for a few months now, and uh, something takes Batman out of Gotham City, and the biggest, baddest villain shows up in Gotham City, and Batman is nowhere to be found. And the last time, uh, at least as far as Tim goes, the last time the Joker came in contact with a Robin, Robin ended up dead at the end of the confrontation, being... uh, Jason Todd. And if we go back to our last episode, that was something that Tim was trying to get through to Batman in dealing with the King Snake is saying, I'm not Jason Todd. I'm not going to make those mistakes. You know, when are you going to trust me? And here's a part where Batman obviously trusts Tim enough to leave him alone in Gotham City that he doesn't call Nightwing. Uh, He doesn't uh, track down anybody else. He doesn't tell the Flash, hey, can you would you mind running over to Gotham City and just keeping an eye on Gotham for a while? I mean, Robin's there, but he's still new. That um, I'll be curious to see what the idiot root story is. If there's some early pages with Tim and Bruce and saying, you know, I'll be gone. It'll just be a little bit. And obviously, it's long enough for the Joker uh, to escape and uh, for Robin to really have to deal with this all on his own and get really clever. Um, we move into the Joker getting back to his hideout. And again, this is something else I'm a little off with having Mr. Freeze here. He's in his superpowers, a colored outfit, which this is 1991. And the animated series is still a year or so away from um, coming out. We're into October of 91 right here. If I'm reading my information correct from Mike's amazing world that yeah, this is uh, October uh, 29th of uh, 1991. So the animated series doesn't come out until uh, mid uh, summer of 92 or the uh, probably the early part of the spring. So we're still a little bit away from the a reimagining of Mr. Freeze. So at this point, and the Joker even points it out that Mr. Freeze, he doesn't even really know who he is or if it's just the Joker's arrogance. But this was my first um, contact with Mr. Freeze outside of the 1966 Batman TV show that I saw in the reruns. And even then, Mr. Freeze is like, okay, seems really cheesy, corny. It's a guy that lives in sub-zero temperatures. So everything that we know and love about Mr. Freeze comes out of the Batman animated TV series through Paul Dini. And then that's where Mr. Freeze really becomes a 
and arguably a big bat villain for Batman. But in the early part of the comics, he's just a one note. He's a Captain Cold knockoff where Captain Cold had more uh, power and respect than what Mr. Freeze does. It's not until the animated series that Captain Cold in some people's eyes becomes a Mr. Freeze knockoff. So that's really kind of uh, interesting how that plays. And uh, I like that. The Joker uses squirt guns here on Mr. Freeze and uses his joy buzzer and basically shocks the crap out of him. And we don't see him anymore. And the Joker is taking back his gang. I did think it was kind of cool, no pun intended, that it it is snowing. It's a bad winter. And it's Mr. Freeze that is taking over the Joker's gang. That uh, the Joker has this uh, wonderful plan set in place that we won't get to uh, for uh, a little while yet. Um, something that is a staple and a hallmark of the Tim Drake character is his dual life as Tim Drake. So uh, Tim's uh, inner sanctum, if you will, or his uh, day-to-day life, his school life of Gotham Heights, all starts right here in Robin 2, The Joker's Wild, that will carry over into his ongoing series. And this is the first appearance of his best friend Ives and the Jock Carl and just his um, day-to-day school stuff, which I really related to being 15, 16 in high school when I first started to like Tim Drake and now being in high school myself. And Tim is in high school also in his freshman year. So I was a, a wonderful like parallel with Tim Drake. Like, there's the jock bully in school that was picking on me. And I have my friends and we were talking about our geeky and nerdy things and music and being fans of kiss and Motley Crue and collecting comic books and everything that was so uh, late eighties, early nineties, you know, Tim is doing the same thing, but, um, I wish I had Tim's, you know, hero inside of him that at one moment, if I wanted to, I could shove Carl up against the locker and tell him to quit being such a jerk. But, it's that Peter Parker mentality that I really liked in Tim Drake of Bruce made him sure he kept everything in check. You know, yes, you're a costumed vigilante superhero, but you're also first and more importantly, Tim Drake, and you have an education that is very important and you are still a a million miles behind me and where I am and, and my detective and, and learning skills. And that's important to Tim. He wants to be a good detective. He wants to be following in the footsteps of Batman. So he has to navigate not only through the dangers of the Joker trying to blow him up and the Riddler trying to outsmart him. He has to try and outsmart the high school jock and he has to maintain friendships in school and then do homework on the top of one of the biggest adversaries of Batman all in this issue. And I, it Lyle and Dixon just do such a wonderful job together in painting this story of Tim Drake and all the trials and tribulations that he has to go through. Uh, we move through um, after getting through the um, little debate between geekdom and, you know, Carl telling Tim that you need to not be hanging out with these nerds and, uh, come to the rage and Christmas party, which again, sets the mood for us that it is wintertime. So we at least know as far as Gotham city goes, that it is Christmas time. And it's funny that, uh, one of the lat, 
of the earlier stories that we did in the podcast uh, not that long ago was during Christmas time when Tim actually gets to become Robin in the identity crisis storyline. It was Christmas time during then, and that's what uh, when Batman agrees to have Tim to become his partner full time as Robin, and now in Christmas time. So we're looking probably at about a year later now that Tim has been uh, Robin for about a year and gone through his training we come to the next big moment, which happens to be at Christmas time again and being the Joker. So it's nice how uh, things are kind of lining up, but some of the bigger moments for Tim are happening right around the same season. So I don't think that was totally by dumb luck. I just think that was uh, by design. An interesting little uh, panel insert here with Tim opening up his locker. He has a Batman sticker in it. You see see it in a couple panels. So it would have been the thing that I would assume that was on t-shirts and inside the lockers of uh, high schools and high school students at that time. So Tim is going along with the illusion of like, yeah, I see Batman on the six o'clock news rounding up, you know, uh, Mr. Freeze or whomever it might be. So the story moves along into uh, going back to Arkham Asylum and Robin going through uh, the Joker's cell and all the magazines and everything that the Joker had in there. Again, it's one of those that you would have thought you would have put somebody in solitary confinement and uh, or not given somebody the resources to make them smarter. Maybe you would have given them better homes and gardens or, or something other than uh, computer magazines and uh, As smart as the Joker is, you don't need somebody like the Joker trying to get smarter, but they did. But the uh, warden does make mention that they they took the staples out of the magazine, so the Joker couldn't fashion some type of weapon. And uh, even the warden is asking, you know, where Batman is, and Tim has to, you know, lie a little bit and say... Well, he's looking at other aspects of the case and kind of gave me the, hey, go gather information, you know, routine to where the warden's like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And we see that uh, the Joker's been looking at computer magazines. You see on the uh, bottom of page 14 here, uh, Data. I'm sure all of us read the Data magazine. Again, uh, this is probably long before product placement would appear in comics and uh, various things. Uh, Again, that probably would have taken us out if we would have saw uh, Computer Science Weekly and that magazine no longer is around anymore. So at least if it's uh, Data Magazine, that never existed. So I'm probably dwelling on that just a little bit too much. Um, And this is something that uh, in this issue also, or not even issue, but the story does really well. And throughout uh, Tim's time as Robin and all of the Robins is the importance of Alfred in the upbringing of the Robin character. You know, Batman is very much a self-sufficient person and would say he doesn't need Alfred. And of course that he does, but some of the extra training that all of the Robins have gotten have come from the hands of Alfred in more of the how to deal with Batman and uh, the functionality of what Batman likes. And as cool as it must be to be Batman's partner, there must be this wall that Batman puts up that he's not letting the Robins or the current Robin in and that's just probably due to his own safety and more importantly, since the death of Jason Todd. So the uh, parenting aspects and the nurturing aspects don't come from Batman and they come from Alfred, which I I always really liked that Alfred has basically raised everybody, all the Robins and of course, Bruce and is the bridge between Batman and Robin. When Batman's being a, a D bag, Alfred's really quick to uh, stand up for the Robins and say, you know what? 
that's not the case and you know better than that. And the times where Batman lays the law down, Alfred's there to say, this is just how it has to be. Um, even I don't understand all of Master Bruce's um, wants and needs, but we're here to f- facilitate at whatever he needs. So um, I always liked that. And uh, the cool thing with uh, the Tim Drake Robin, he is also the the smart Robin, as it were. If we, we talked about that in a previous episode, and it's been well established that Tim is very handy at tackling computers, and it's a big reason why uh, Batman saw a need for Tim Drake. He's... He's very smart at the computers, not that Batman isn't, but it's right in his um, wheelhouse. And something that Batman may not necessarily have the time to keep up on, he now has a partner that knows all the computer jargon. And this kind of baffles Tim is why why is the Joker trying to go through this now? The Joker has not been a computer tech-savvy person up to this point, and Alfred is even like we used to do just newspaper clippings and uh, watch file footage. That's how we, you know, would catch the Joker. Uh, This is kind of above Alfred's pay grade at the moment. And we find out that all the newspaper clippings are written from, uh, by a Dr. Pillinger and what's, what would be the reason for the Joker reading magazines that are specific to Dr. Pillinger, other than the good doctor saying that uh, computers are going to be, um, basically the death of civilization in the next 20 years. And, you know, doing this podcast, I'm using a computer right now. We're using, you're listening on your smartphones and we have Facebook and Twitter and the internet at our disposal 24 seven. Back in 91, that wasn't the case. And they even talk about it in this uh, discussion with Robin and Alfred Uh, from the article standpoint that the overabundant reliance on computers and what a danger that is. I mean, when somebody says, oh, they sent us home early from work because our computer system crashed, uh, that wouldn't have happened back in, you know, the 20s or 30s or, you know, the 80s. Uh, we weren't as computer reliant as we are now. It's like, oh, if I can't check Facebook uh what am I going to do? I can't take a picture of the food that I'm eating or take a selfie of me in the mirror, or look in the new shirt that I'm wearing or look how confused and complicated my life are selfie. You know, um, I think that Chuck Dixon was writing a very smart story here and kind of the writing was already on the wall and it'd be, it'd be interesting to interview Chuck Dixon now to say, is this what you were trying to say? Uh, knowing knowing what you wrote in 91 and knowing where we are in 2014 on how uh, computers and the internet just control our daily lives, um, is this what your Dr. Pullinger was doing? Is this what the Joker's trying to uh, get control of? So it's, it's kind of funny how 20-some-odd years later how a story kind of really resounds and may hit home and you may not uh, – really pick up on it when you're a uh, freshman in high school as you're reading it. Uh, of course, we know that uh, Dr. Pillinger gets kidnapped as he you know, goes to leave to probably go do something. Uh, Tim notices that the snowplow has already come down. It's the Joker, and it's the first confrontation between Robin and the Joker since the death in the family back in the 80s, about 89, which wasn't all that long ago. But as far as uh, comics books go, we're probably looking at a couple years here, and here is the Joker coming face to face with the Robin, and you know he's going through the whole, you know, I killed you, and um, of course Tim gets knocked off the truck and comes to his feet, and 
has that little moment with uh, Alfred here that, wow, this is, this guy really is nuts. And uh, on some level you would have thought that Alfred may have reached out to Bruce and said, the Joker's in town and all that is standing between the Joker and Gotham city is master Tim. I would have thought that would have been a device that would have made Batman come running home. No matter what case he's on, the very thing that Bruce is afraid of is a death of another Robin, him making a mistake. And we know how the story eventually is going to unfold, but could you imagine if the story took the turn for the opposite and Tim Drake had an even shorter lifespan than Jason Todd with him coming back home, this probably would have totally shattered his world. So uh, you would have thought that, Alfred may have said, you need to get home ASAP. Um, if it was, you know, the rat catcher wreaking havoc in Gotham City, I think Robin can very easily handle this on his home, on his own, and or even Mr. Freeze for that matter. But being that it is the Joker, um, that should be some call for alarm. But um, that's not the case. And uh, the Joker's kind of surprised, like... I'm pretty sure I killed uh, this guy, but we got Dr. Pillinger, and uh, I guess I'll just have to kill Robin again. And I like that Tim is smart enough to say, we need to make sure that uh, the Joker and everybody else thinks that Batman is out in Gotham City. And Tim has no idea how to do it. Uh, Part two of Robin Joker's Wild came out on November 12th, and I remember it feeling like it was an eternity to get uh, the second issue of this book. I was just really captivated. We had another... Uh, solo Robin series, uh, be it a mini series, and knowing that it was only going to be four issues, I wanted them all out at one moment. So um, it made me know, like, oh, okay, I got to save a dollar to go to the comic book store and pick it up. Um, I only have uh, just one issue for each of these, um, as there were four issues in some cases for every one of these. Um, I have the Tom Mandrake issue uh, where Robin, again, is. Uh, on the ground, bleeding from the Joker, hitting him in the head. But we had, um, as I'm looking here at Mike's Amazing World, we had a Kevin Maguire issue with the Joker and his doctor fatigues with uh, Pillinger being strapped to a table. And we have the Jim Paro issue, which I saw and I almost picked up when this initially came out, but I only had enough money for one issue. So I ended up buying uh, the Tom Mandrake. And then there was also the uh, Chris Spruce um, cover as well for this, uh, issue. So, uh, we move into, uh, kind of, uh, the next phase of, uh, the story where, uh, Tim needs to get smarter than the criminals and to make the criminals dumber than they, uh, actually are into believing that Batman is still in Gotham city. Um, things kind of, you know, spread out through, you know, well, no one's seen Batman for a while. And uh, Tim uh, gets smart enough to use uh, holographic uh, image projectors. And uh, this is where uh, I was talking that uh, it it is kind of of its time uh, with uh, Tim and Alfred having to haul all this computer, uh, all these computers in the van to be able to cast these images. And rather than try and go how how they would work or how they wouldn't work, we will use suspension of disbelief. But uh, the story is still telling a really good, uh, concise story that even though we're talking about computers and some of the things that were um, of the latest tech at that time, it doesn't dwell on them so much 
that you read the story and go, oh, I just, I can't get behind it because it is so dated. You know, it, the story doesn't make it look like you're watching the 19, you know, 40, uh, Batman TV serials that were in the movie theaters that are in black and white. And you look at those and go, Oh my gosh, that is so dated. Everything about that show just totally takes you out of it, whether you're into watching it or not. Um, this still tells a really good story and you can kind of see how the things are working. Uh, all you would have to do is kind of just replace some of the lingo and the story still works very well. Um, that the Joker is, uh, using uh, Dr. Pillinger probably through like um, a truth serum type drug or something that really makes him more acceptable to suggestion into, you know, we have all these wires going into this big, massive computer mainframe that, again, was very typical of the 80s and 90s that computers had to be huge, and they were, but uh, is using uh, Pillinger to hack into uh, systems that uh, the Joker's plan still isn't out, but... Uh, does make mention to his uh, gang that this is somebody to be reckoned with. This guy is probably the most dangerous person in the world. In a day and age where we're getting more and more computer reliance, you know, a person with a gun is dangerous, but a person with a simple swipe of a key card or a keystroke can really level a city or, you know, take away your family's fortune with just the click of a, a mouse button or a computer stroke does make that person very dangerous. And the Joker is smart enough to uh, realize that from his magazines. And if there's a way to control somebody that smart, then you become doubly dangerous. So that does make Joker a double threat in this issue. Uh, again, we find him back in school and his uh, nightlife is really affecting Tim here in class. You know, he's sleeping in class. He can't study. And uh, Ives, his best friend in the world, ends up saving his butt in class. And it's a nice little uh, comedy moment between Tim and Ives. Uh, but another beat that they do look at through these two best friends is uh, Ives kind of looks at Tim like, why are you here? You know, of all of the schools... In the country or in the world, you know, Mr. Wayne puts you at Gotham Heights. You know, shouldn't you be in some boarding school, in some prep school? And I'm sure as great of friends as Tim and Ives are, at least as far as we know um, from Jokers 2, since this is the first appearance of Ives and uh, Tim's high school days, I don't know if Ives or anybody else really know that why Tim's parents are dead or if they are, you know, he, he is obviously adopted and it probably hasn't come out that, you know, I was in a boarding school, you know, my parents uh, threw me there to basically like, all right, we're going to go off gallivanting around the world and we're going to throw our only son in a boarding school. And we don't have to worry about him. So I would assume at some point, once Tim gets back into a school routine after his parents' death, Tim probably said, I don't want to do the boarding school thing. I, I want to be as normal as I possibly can. And I'm sure that it's something Bruce said. Yes, definitely. I, I want you to have a normal life. I don't want you to be my partner or, or have to feel the need to be my partner. Uh, very early on, Bruce was trying to make sure that Tim didn't need this life, but Tim obviously wanted it. But if he was going to have this crime fighting life, 
Bruce was going to make very well sure, and probably Tim himself, is that he could be as normal as possible in probably ways that Bruce never got to. So Tim and Ives have this little boarding school debate here, and they end up picking on each other. But for a little bit of a moment, it's like Ives is a little bit, you know, resentful of it. Like you have everything handed to you in the world and you're choosing to be here, you know, uh, and here I am helping you out and you can't even keep your eyes open because, you know, you're, you're rich manservants packing you this, you know, fancy meal and your uh, beneficiary is gallivanting across the world. Shouldn't you be doing that? So Tim kind of gives it back to Ives a little bit, but uh, in more of a playful manner. And we have a little uh, interchange here between uh, the Joker and the blonde lady here uh, that is going on the audition, which we will find out is going to be uh, used to be somewhat of a distraction. And uh, like the whole, you know, scream little gag here, it works as as much as the, you know, it will serve the Joker story coming up. Um, a cool thing here that Tim is probably right around the age of 15, 16, doesn't have a driver's license. And that gets addressed off and on that Tim really wishes he had a mode of transportation rather than relying on, in this case, Alfred dragging him around. I'm sure this isn't something that Alfred really wants. And I was always kind of surprised reading the Robin uh, miniseries and just the Batman and Detective Comics uh, when Tim was Robin that uh, he never had a bike. Um, I knew friends in you know uh, freshman in high school and sophomore or even in junior high had some type of you know a moped. Not that we want Robin riding a moped, but it was easier to get a motorcycle type of a license or a dirt bike type of a license that. Uh, Robin could have been riding around on rather than uh, waiting until he gets his actual driver's license. And Tim makes uh, mention here that wouldn't it be easier if the Batmobile were out on the streets? What better way to show people than us having to lug all this computer uh, equipment around in this van and project images of Batman being on the streets rather than the Batmobile just drive downtown? People will notice, well, hey, there's the Batmobile. Batman's here. And Alfred is really quick to be like, if you think I'm going to get in that vehicle, you're absolutely absurd. <laughs> uh, we do get a call from uh, Bruce, as it uh, turns out, but uh, due to the uh, winter connections in Gotham City and probably in South America where Batman is, the call just dropped. So this was that little moment where Alfred could have said to Bruce, um, they're the jokers here in town. Uh, you need to get back home, but that call uh, never gets to fully go through all the way. So we have uh, Alfred and Tim going up to the rooftop to set this up. And then uh, all the uh, uh, computer equipment that they would need to uh, cast a holographic image in town. And as they're getting ready to set this up, this is when uh, the blonde woman is being used by the Joker, um, where she's going to uh, commit suicide and drop off. And then the uh, confrontation, uh, the first actual real confrontation between Robin and Joker happen in here. And uh, we have this little beat that going through the Joker and everybody's wearing red, so they look like the Gotham City phone company, as it were, which we're only getting just little bits and pieces of what the Joker's doing. That probably won't or that won't come out more until the uh, third and fourth issue of what the Joker's real plan is. But during this, um, 
you know, heist that the Joker is setting up and using the blonde uh, here as a distraction um, is able to get Joker in and out of this building so they can put whatever devices in so Pillager could do what he is going to do, which us as the reader, we don't know quite yet. But we have Robin saving the girl here. And I really like how Dixon puts this kind of into perspective for us of why Robin caught her around the leg as opposed to the waist, uh, saying uh, what the cable is like and her rate of speed and how far she's falling and how fast she's falling. If the cable would have gone around her waist, it would have cut her or it could have cut her in half. But uh, getting around the boot and the ankle, he's able to slower uh, descent uh, dramatically. And then we have the... A hologram uh, finally get activated by Alfred just as the Joker and his gang are coming out and uh, people notice it. And uh, the Joker does the whole, well, I guess now as good a time as any. I didn't want to have to deal with Batman right now and starts firing shots up at Batman's location through the crowded streets since there was this woman on top of the building and the bullets pass right through there. And we get this kind of like, what, you know, from the Joker and, uh, it's uh, left Robin to go. Um, if I don't do something right now, we have the Joker down on the ground firing a gun in a crowded city street. And uh, this is where Robin takes matters into his own hands. And I remember reading this going, all right, Robin's going to land the blow to the Joker does. So the Joker shoots his acid and Robin deflects it with his cape. And while he's doing that, the Joker gets the upper hand of him and uh, cracks Robin in the face with a cane. And uh, the cane kind of looks like a crowbar. And I was going back through the death in the family and some of these same uh, motions with the crowbar and this cane here are kind of the same. So I think that's a little uh, bit of nod to uh, death in the family that it's like, wow, we're going to witness the hands of another death of Robin. But the GCPD show right up and are able to thwart the Joker beating Robin half to death. And uh, the Joker gets away with his gas bombs, and we're left with the nice little reference to the Home Alone movie that the Joker realizes uh, the Batman didn't show up when Robin jumped to the ground. Uh, Surely, uh, Batman would not have let Robin attack him first without Batman at least being a millisecond right there. So we get the little nod to Home Alone. Could it be that Robin is Home Alone? So... Uh, If I wasn't already excited when I read these uh, first two issues, um, I was doubly excited to know uh, what the Joker was going to do next, now knowing that the Joker has a pretty good um, assumption that Robin is by himself. So if Batman's not in sight, what glorious things the Joker could do. Um, Chuck Dixon is the Robin writer uh, for me for quite a long time. And uh, this podcast will go on for quite some time by me saying writer, Chuck Dixon, writer, Chuck Dixon, as much as I love Alan Grant and the Norm Brayfogel area and uh, Marv Wolfman that really made me become a Robin fan. And uh, those stories by saying that this is why Batman needs a Robin my Robin writer that I always enjoy reading is Chuck Dixon and wrote the Robin character for such a long time. And that, that was a a great thing in the Chuck Dixon run of the character that everything was kept under one banner, basically of, you know, one Oracle as it were. 
that he could pull in so many different things that he had written and does very good job also at pulling things that other people wrote in that you would go, oh my gosh, he's talking about something that happened in issue two of the Robin ongoing series, and we're at issue 43. So uh, the Chuck Dixon era of Robin, and Chuck Dixon was a beast when it came to writing. He was writing so much uh, during this time. He was also writing Nightwing. So when you would have moments when uh, Dick and Tim would work together, it was just like reading one cohesive story. It didn't feel like, okay, somebody's going to borrow a Tim Drake character and throw him into the Flash book, and it seems a little uh, disjointed. We'll kind of get a little bit of that once we do the Superman story where Tim feels a little bit different. But if that was written by Chuck Dixon or the portions of that Robin story were written by Chuck Dixon, I think that story would have just uh, sprang to life even more. We will do that uh Superman run here very soon, probably in the next uh, couple episodes of the podcast. But for now, that's going to end this episode of Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. Um, There are not a lot of bad things to say about this book. Um, I will probably address this more in the next episode, but this goes down as just one of the great Robin stories and one of the great Joker stories that is without a Batman. So for people uh, to say, oh, Batman doesn't need a Robin. In some cases, you can go, well, Robin doesn't need a Batman and does it very well here. But in uh, these first two parts of the story, we see that Robin still has a lot to learn. He's wanting to jump into a fight against one of the deadliest foes that Batman has, and the Joker gets the upper hand on him twice. You know, He gets knocked off of a moving truck, so you can go, well, it was a moving truck, so... Who knew? Who knows how long anybody could um, stay on a moving truck? But now Joker and Robin are face to face, and even though uh, Robin does get the upper hand, uh, knocking him to the ground and knocking the gun out of his hand, uh, in that split second, uh, the Joker is able to knock Tim's staff out of the ground and knock him uh, almost out to a point where Tim can't really focus. He can kind of he can hear the Joker, but. Uh, he makes mention that it sounds like the Joker is a million miles away uh, from him. And uh, the little jab that the Joker puts on Tim as saying, you know, did uh, Batman tell you how the last Robin died and does the whole, he blowed up real good, you know, just getting that jab in, like I killed the last Robin and I'm going to kill you too. So um, Chuck Dixon just does a wonderful job at, Pacing this story out in four issues that it doesn't seem like it's too long, but in the way that the first story of Chuck Dixon in the Robin one where um, Terrence and I were saying it, it felt like it went on like an issue or two to an issue or two too long. Too many twos there. Uh, by the time we get to Robin two, uh, Chuck Dixon has really brought in uh, his Robin writing style uh for Tim, that um, I think Terrence probably has the same thought that I do. I this I could have read two more issues of this story. Uh, there was just so much good uh, 
so many good things about the Joker and Robin in this that I wanted more and more. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. We will be back in a couple weeks to wrap up Robin 2, The Joker's Wild, and getting ready to move on to the next stage of Tim Drake's Robin Evolution. We will see you guys, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips, as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, one zero M-Y-E-R-S at yahoo.com, and I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.